Okay. All right. So September 11th, remember September 11th? Doesn't feel right to say happy September 11th. Um, I just want to make sure you guys can hear me because I was fiddling with my audio again. So I can always go here and check my built in. Yeah, okay. As long as you can hear me, type in if you can't. Um, yay, you can hear me. Cool. So today I wanted to talk to September is our sex and desire chapter, chapter of our year. And I wanted to talk a lot more about desire if that's what you guys want to do. So I want you to type in if you want coaching. It doesn't have to be coaching on desire or sex in general. It can be coaching on anything in life because I want to give you guys an opportunity to do both regular coaching and then we're going to talk about desire. So type in or raise your hand if you want to do some coaching. Otherwise, I'm going to chit chat for desire for a while and we'll do questions and answers on that. I'm not going to call you out though because I don't want to use your names. So try to keep it confidential in room one. Okay, so if any time you have questions, I know some of you guys are on phones. It's harder, harder to raise your hand on phones. Um, we can go into questions. I wanted to talk about that paper. I put a paper in the Facebook group uh, at the end of yesterday. And the topic of the paper is heteronormativity. I'll read it to you. Which makes you sound very academic. But heteronormativity theory of low sexual desire in women partnered with men. So this is probably a groundbreaking paper. I haven't seen things come out like this. Basically, like, why are we telling heterosexual women that they're broken? Why are we telling them that they're the problem? Why are we telling them that their interest in sex is the problem and not what's going on in her life? So kind of bl uh, victim blaming is one way they're kind of calling it of like, it's your problem. It's not the world that you're living in. It's not the gender inequality that is inherent when you put heterosexual people together sometimes, unless you work on it. Um, even, even in my marriage, which is very, we work on it a lot. But so there's something about society, right? And the world the woman's living in. And just to blame the woman as she's the problem for the low desire, one way to call that is victim blaming. So let's not do it. It really just helps in my whole thesis of you are not broken. Like this is not inherent in your body. And I drew this picture. I'm not an artist. All the circles are supposed to be equal. <laughs> so excuse me. But so this is my little lady right here. And I look at all the different reasons that a woman might have low desire. And it's been interesting since the doctors, and that's me, have kind of come into this field is doctors are very biologic in our thinking, right? We're not the, we think the brain is not the body. So if it's in your head, it's not real, right? That's an inherent dogma in our, in our training. Um, but the doctors in female sexual dysfunction really tend to think that this is an inherent biological problem. Either your hormones are out of whack or you're, you don't have enough dopamine or you're taking a drug like serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And there is truth to that. But to keep that as just one circle, throw say bio, kind of a deductionist of like, it's gotta be really simple. It's just the dopamine, stupid. If she just had more dopamine, she would want to have sex all the time. 
And that's where the FDA approved medications for low desire have come in of like, let's figure out the bio on that woman. Let's just give her testosterone. Let's just replace her hormones. And although there is something to that for some women, it's not going to work for all women. It's not just you're missing a neurotransmitter in a certain ratio, and then you'd just be a horny, crazy woman. So the biologic component's really important for desire. And then the next one is society. And society and then our thoughts. And I would say our thoughts are influenced by society and biologic. So I think it's all, they're all influenced, but I like, I like this Zen, uh, Venn diagram to kind of break down all the different reasons that a woman feels like she's the problem, right? So society, the gender norms of women aren't supposed to have inappropriate sex, inappropriate meaning outside of marriage or outside of a committed relationship. She's not, want, she's not supposed to want it more than the man does. Right? That's another unwritten rule of society. If, if a woman comes in and with a sexual desire mismatch and the woman has too much desire, she's as much of a problem in this relationship as the woman who comes in with low desire. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in our society. Right. So what we've done is we've taken the male sex drive and made it the normative or made it the default. And then the woman is just it's her job to match that. Right. And even this thing about you know sexual desire discrepancy of like if it's not matched there's a problem instead of saying no it's two people in a relationship trying to figure out how to live together right one likes pizza one likes lasagna how do we make sure everybody has their needs met so other things about society is you're either a prude or you're a slut right so our sexual uh, desires and wants are always being judged by this external lens of is it appropriate? Is it good? Is it too much? Is it too low? We've got this constant barrage, right? And I'd say the other part of society is that how do you look, right? Because women are to be desired. Men are the desirers. So women have this incredible societal pressure to look the part, to be desirous, to keep your man, to attract your man. All of these rules around our body and our attractiveness and is it enough? And a lot of women in sexual activity complain about, not complain about, but, but notice that they're, they're kind of what they call spectatoring or watching the event, right? Like, are my thighs too jiggly? Is my butt wrinkly? Is, am I going to make a weird sound? Am I too wet? Am I too dry? And we kind of get wrapped up in this body performance because we have society telling us we're the one that's our desirability is what turns our man on. Right. And so not being able to kind of be in the moment of where sexual activity lies because we've got this constant like checking. Are we enough? Did I shave? Did I shower? Is it OK? Which really takes away from pleasure. So society and then, of course, where I got into coaching is the thoughts. Right. And I think thoughts come again, can come from both of these. But if you think sex is dirty, if you think you don't have time for this. If you think it's not important, right? If that's the underlying thought, you're not going to have a good sex life. We can work on the thoughts. So we can, the good news is we can work on all three of these things. We have modern medicine. We can see what society does, how they treat women, how they view and decide, screw it. That's not serving me anymore. And then work on the thoughts too. So 
hope this is helpful in talking about desire and making you, the whole point of this is to make you not feel broken at all, to give you kind of enlightenment of like, how the hell do we get here? And it's not your fault. It's not your fault that your sex life isn't up to some bar that we just falsely made. Another, another part of the thesis in this paper is what the heck is low desire anyways? There's no definition of low desire. There is a definition of hypoactive sexual desire disorder, and that's because they had to create something in order to make medications that were FDA approved and to diagnose somebody with a mental DSM-5. So that is creative. But what low desire is, is completely made up. And it usually is a bar made surrounding the partner, right? So you have low desire in relation to your partner, in relation to how you used to be before kids in a job, in relation to how you were before menopause. It's always in relation to this like perceived normal standard, which is arbitrary and made up. And like a moment in time, if you say like, have sex as much as I did when I was 23. Well, when I was 23, like, I did not have the weight of the world and children and mortgages and doctor life and all that. So it's like, to, to say your low desire is related to something that no longer even exists, right? What kind of burden is, is that on a woman? Because you can't change that. So low desire, is it even a thing? Uh, I would say it's only a thing if you want it to be. So Let's go. I need my coaching on, on desire from last time. So this is, I'll read it out loud because of my writing. Um, heteronormativity. Basically, heteronormativity means how society has said what the default roles of people are, right? A woman in society has to, it should kind of fit all of these ideals. A man in society has to fit all these ideals. Um, and then when you put them together, these are the ideals that we have. So they're basically saying our social construct is part of what creates low desire in women. And they say four things in this paper for that. Number one, inequitable division of labor. We see this all the time. Like how many surgeon mom groups posts do you read where like she comes, she's got the surgeon job with the, either the stay at home dad or like a normal job partner. And now she's still got to do the lunches. And now she's in charge of like the play date that needed to be arranged at the end of the week. Inequitable division of labor. And then she's the one with the low desire. She's the one who doesn't want sex enough. And they're saying until we can normalize this as much as possible, she's going to have an undue burden and not want to have sex. Because, as a, Not wanting to have sex is a part of that, right? Because he's here like doing his job and then wants to have sex and she's got all of this and then is supposed to match that person's sex drive. So an equitable division of labor can lead to low desire in a relationship. This one's super interesting. Caregiver or mothering role to the partner. How many women do this? How many, how, and again, gender stereotyping, society at large, heteronormativity, right? So these are all generalizations that the man leaves the mom, the man gets married, the wife now takes on the role of caretaking for that person. Food, clothing, dishes, planning, social event, arranging, all of this caretaking mothering, which is in and of itself not allowing her to be a sexual being because now she has a different role with that person. She has more of the mothering role, which in our brains, 
mothers aren't supposed to be sexually attracted to the people they're mothering, right? The other part of that is when you have children at home, you're mothering them, a very non-sexual environment, and then she has to switch into the sexual role at 8 p.m., right? And having trouble doing that switch, having trouble separating that, I think just learning about the difference between that can be very, very helpful of like, no, I'm not interested in sex right now. I just put the kids to bed. I need to take some time to transition from one role into this other role instead of thinking, thinking something's wrong with you because you can't just change a diaper and want to have an orgasm like immediately. There's, there's different roles in your life. Something, you know, like back before I did a lot of work, I would come home and I'd like surgeon my family and I'd be like, and my husband was like, stop it, stop being a surgeon at home. And so it's like, you have to like consciously be like, I wanna be in the sexual role now. What do I have to do to create that environment? They talk about that a lot, that context for sexual activity is so important for women. And so, so many women are like, let's go away. Let's go to a hotel where the, let's keep the kids at home. Let's, if they want to create that context, Whereas the male brain can kind of turn it on a lot quicker. Like, why do you want to go to the hotel? We can just have sex here. What's, why is that necessary? And what she's trying to do, and she can't always verbalize it, is she's trying to create a context where sex is part of the role that she wants to be in. So mad respect to people who are already trying to figure that out. Number three, objectification. So objectification is society, again, a spectatoring. Are we enough? Are we thin enough? Are we fit enough? Are we not smelly enough? Kind of all these roles, are we desirable enough? It's my job to make sure my husband desires me by doing whatever I need for my body. The objectification role kills desire for a lot of women. And then number four, the gender norms about initiation. Stereotypically in a heteronormative relationship, if you read the rule book, right, what we call in coaching the manual, what manual do you have for sex, is that the man has to initiate and the woman has to accept that, right? And there's something wrong with her if she didn't want to accept when he initiated, instead of like, no, I wasn't thinking about that right now. Conversely, when the woman initiates, right, there might be something that's not wrong with that. It's, it's the wrong time for you to initiate. No, we're not, I don't want to have sex, well, only you do, so we're not going to have sex, right? So. Gender norms around initiation can create, their theories create another reason for low desire. Because like, if you have to do it every time somebody else wants you to have sex, like, you're not allowing that any spontaneous sexual drive to come up. And number two, you're, you're more on demand of like, when he's ready, that's when you've got to be good to go. Not good for wanting and enjoying sex. And I, I think talking to your partner and about this, about initiation, how it works in your household. Why does it work that way? Could it work another way? Is it, is it working for both people? And again, the thing for this is like, if it's not a problem for you, you don't have to change anything. It's just looking at all the different pieces of where low desire comes from for women. So you just don't feel like it's you. You just don't feel like there's something wrong with you inherently. So I hope that was super helpful raise your hands or have questions if you do. Otherwise, I'm going to open this for talking, coaching, whatever you want. The or paper that this came from is mind-blowing, and I put it in the Facebook group for you guys. Okay. Floor is open.
You can either type in the fan. I don't know. I'm going to put the phone on just to see if you want, if you have any questions, because I'm not sure you can do it by yourself. Hello, phone in caller. I think you have talking permitted if you want now. Maybe I can't hear you is my issue. I'm telling you, I need a tech person. Let's try this. There we go. Hello, phone and caller. Anything? I'm not getting any sound. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let both of you guys chat if you want to. Mostly, now I just want to know I can hear you. Guys. There you go. Yeah, I can hear you. You, you can hear me. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. Awesome, awesome. Um, and then I have the phone and caller. She just looks like she's on mute, so she can talk if you want to. Otherwise, listen. Um, any coaching you want to do or? Uh, sure. I'll talk about this whole sex and desire thing. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I have a ton to unpack about sex as I'm sure a lot of us do, which you've touched on with your talks, but the most current thing we're dealing with. So I'm actually one of those females that has the higher desire, right? And so that I'll admit that does make me feel awkward a lot. <laughs> because <clears throat> I'm married to a male, you know, heterosexual norms, everything like that. And um, he's always had the lower desire, but then also a year ago he started an SSRI. So it's just compounded the problem even further. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I don't even know <laughs> where to start beyond that. Yeah, I think and, and I'm, I'll start in general, what I like to do when I do these things, I like to start in like big generalizations and then yeah. we narrow it down. But, but what tends to happen or what's a common thing that happens in this scenario is the, the woman, the high desire woman, makes that low desire mean something about her. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, it, that's kind of like your extra piece of luggage on mm -hmm. top of this is just how it is in our relationship. Yeah. And then now you're like, and, and, and now I'm not desirable. Now he's rejecting me. Now that means I'm not attractive. Like it's this extra burden, and I think it, it comes from again gender norms, right? And like what what we're making it mean. Yeah, I think too is I feel like I shouldn't have to initiate it because that's not what you're fed most of your life. You know what you mean? Gender. I mean, isn't this amazing? You're like, <laughs> oh, that's coming from legitimate places, right? Yeah, because <clears throat> our society says it's number one. It, it's not okay, right? Like you're just supposed to be available for when he's ready, which completely neglects all of you as a human, I think. Because it's like you just have to sit around and like wait for the 
the food nugget to be dropped. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I, and sometimes I feel like it's one more thing I have to do. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I think that, I think one more, I think sex as a chore, sex as a to-do list is huge for women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's because it, it is again with that that in the heterosexual relationships if you look at the orgasmic inequality we know that women are having pleasure about half the time if, if we mm -hmm. if we define pleasure as orgasms which we can there's a, that's a whole big thing too but like right. if you get orgasm as an end point uh, of both pleasure and the, the event is done women are only having an orgasm about 50 50 to 60 percent of the time whereas the heterosexual men are having an orgasm about 90 95 percent of the time Mm -hmm. And so just looking at that statistic, that's, that's more of a chore for her because she's going to the party and he's finishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because since my husband has been on an SSRI, he's been having some trouble with keeping a full erection. Mm -hmm. um, but he can still orgasm, but I have an even harder time of it now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like all, it, crazy, like all of those things are... Like erection, you, know, you can orgasm without an erection. You can have an erection with no orgasms. Like they're all like the parasympathetic and sympathetic. Like they're all different, which is mm -hmm. um, But yeah, it, it, and it might be like to dig into it deeper. It might be all of that extra burden on you of like kind of that spectatoring. Like, is he going to last? Is he going to have a good time? Yes. Is he going to blah, blah, blah? And it's like, yes. thoughts. like you're the female orgasm doesn't exist where those thoughts are happening. That's like, exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's super, super common. And mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, starting to like break apart the like, what am I making this all mean? And then becoming very curious about it is the first step in like being able to do this. Because it's a default, right? This is just what we're doing. The work right. is saying, I really want to have pleasure. I have to work on seeing those thoughts and letting them go. And and then the communication part too, right? Of like, I feel like I'm not having as much pleasure right now because I'm so worried about X, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. And him being like, ow, oh, don't be worried. Or my husband would be like, that's a stupid thing to be worried about. And I'm like, please don't call it stupid. It's real. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, as far as like, it's, there's so many pieces of like, what I'm making it mean, what I think he's making it mean. I haven't talked to him about it. So we all have, our own little silos and that I think I'm the problem because where'd my orgasm go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're totally normal. Right. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, is there a specific thought that you want to do a model on? Well, yeah. So the biggest, so I'm used to the desire mismatch, but the biggest um, issue right now for me is that so I actually am one of those women that can orgasm with vaginal penetration. And so I used to orgasm like every time we had sex. And now it's like 25% of the time, ever since you started the SSRI. Mm -hmm. And, um, and maybe it's coming through his skin into your skin. Maybe you're getting, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, he has had a lot more issues with lasting, you know, um, so I think that's part of it because you talked about how it can take a lot long, longer for a woman to get there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so now I'm not even, now I don't even look forward to sex as much as I used to. Right. <laughs> like, 
like I still want to have it, but then it's kind of like feels more like a chore. Totally. <laughs> totally. To. And it, 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 again, like my whole job is to just tell women they're normal because like right. just, <laughs> totally normal, and that women will take longer in a heterosexual relationship to have an orgasm than they will when they masturbate, mm-hmm. which is super interesting because then our our society says like women just take longer to orgasm and we kind of get labeled as like we're difficult or Mm -hmm. like or like we're more challenging or something Mm -hmm. and you're like well if you actually look at how long it takes a woman to orgasm it's the exact same time as it is with a man individually and you put together and it's like now she's taking longer because you put a man in the room right again taking the blame off of her which i love doing um i think I think too, like I can orgasm a lot faster when I masturbate because I know exactly what to do. <laughs> totally. And that's, again, totally normal. But I, yeah. I, like I cringe, like I, I, there's this, this, I follow, I follow a lot of people at this point, like mm-hmm. educators and they're like, well, women just take longer. And I'm like, no, they actually don't when you <laughs> yeah. give them exactly what they need. Right. Yeah, that's just, true. Put, I mean, to speak crudely about it, you put a penis in the room and shit falls apart. Right. I mean, part of what I like about sex as opposed to just masturbating, I mean, like, you know, man, woman, vaginal sex is like, it's something we're doing together. Yep. really intimate, you know? So, so while I know how to orgasm, I want it to be something I do with my partner. <laughs> yeah. And then an, an, another tip that you can consider going into is heterosexual definition, which should be a, another thing, like one, two, three, four, five. The heterosexual definition of sex is so incredibly narrow now, right. when there's challenges within that paradigm, and the paradigm being penis goes in the vagina, everybody has pleasure. When there's challenges in that paradigm because of erectile dysfunction, or for a woman, she's she's more stressed, or it's easier with a, a, on her own masturbating, whatever it is. When there's trouble with the paradigm, shit falls apart. Right. And mm-hmm. then, and that's where like the avoidance starts happening. And then, yes, you know, you're going to bed at different times. And next thing you know, like you have nothing in common. Like <laughs> it's this huge, but like people will spiral, right? Yeah. Because, like their definition was so narrow to begin with. They can't be like, hey, how about we just like, you know, take 45 minutes, be naked. I'll have a vibrator. You can cuddle me or you can touch this part of my body and we'll, it'll be great. Uh-huh. Right? And, and if you look at that paradigm that I just described, that's normal in a lot of same sex couples. Right. Their paradigm mm-hmm. isn't like every time we do it this way because this is the definition of sex. Mm-hmm. They did research on this. They looked at same-sex couples and like their definition of sex is like this huge bag of goodies. Like, right. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes it's all about this person. Sometimes it's all about this person. Blah blah blah. And like the heterosexuals are like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> how, how come we never got that permission? Right. To, like permission to be like the whole point is to be close and to bond and to be intimate and to have some pleasure, it doesn't mean it just has to be this one way every single time. Right. And like, yeah, I, I think that's partly what we're dealing with. Cause the, I mean, I think it's a lot of it is the SSRI has kind of shifted, you know, mm-hmm. how things worked. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I'm glad he's on the SSRI. I'm all about it. It's good. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's in, it's sometimes it's, that's something that couples don't want to change. They're like, right. this is just our new normal. But then working with the new normal instead of being like, but remember when? Right. Kind of like glorifying that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. 
instead of like, actually, our life is really good with this SSRI. We just have to work on this part now. Right. Yes. And I've had to remind myself of that <laughs> several times. Yeah. Um, I mean, just even, I think, talk, it, it's such a, what I think, wonderfully complex situation, but like, it's complex. There's all these different pieces to it. Yes. And I think stereotypically, women who are women socialized as women, we make the erection trouble or the orgasm trouble of the partner, we make it about us way, yes. more, way more than we need to. I would argue we don't need to, but we do, right? Of like, does he not want to be in a relationship with me? Like we go there when we're like, it's kind of a blood flow problem. Right. We're letting a blood mm -hmm. flow problem break us up. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's our, again, and it's what we're putting on the guy, right? Like, well, if you, if that part of your body doesn't work, that must mean I'm unlovable. Yeah. We're like, whoa, mm -hmm. whoa, 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 spread that out. <laughs> right. Uh, I, yeah. I think for me is I'm going to have to accept a new norm. That's what I think I need to figure out how to do it differently. Yeah. I mean, and the good thing is there's no right answer. Right. This is where you're like, oh, there's a new part in our life and we get to try a bunch of stuff and fail. Like, I truly believe that working on sex life is like transformative for people's lives because you, yeah. it's, it's all, everything you learn in it of like, it's okay to talk about scary shit. It's okay to fail. It's mm -hmm. okay to figure out what my needs are and communicate them. Like it's to me, it's such a universal topic that way that I'm like, women who figure that out and do that work, like they, it, they take it everywhere else in their life too. Yeah. Yeah. This topic in particular, it's sex in particular. It's like, I haven't, I'm having no problem talking to you about it, but to talk to my husband about it and especially about his erectile dysfunction, I feel like I'm like unmanning him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, definition of man in our society is rock solid erection whenever he wants way more than the woman like mm -hmm. the, the whole heteronormativity thing it doesn't just benefit one group i would say it benefits nobody right um yeah but you know we i think in making the male the default we're like oh they have it easy and i'm like no mm -hmm. their literal definition of who they are as a human being depends upon blood flow to their pelvis right like <laughs> yeah and, and the amount of erectile dysfunction in our society, like, there's a lot of people that are being threatened. Um, because it's not, yeah. true, right? It's like, it's a blood flow problem or a neurologic problem, whatever you want to call it. It's not the definition of them as a human being, but we put that. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's not fair. It's, it, I think this topic truly isn't kind to anybody. Um, I like to focus on the woman, but like men have it rough too. Yeah. Like, cause mm -hmm. yeah, it's like a third, at least a third of heterosexual couples where the woman has the higher desire, at least a third. And we treat yeah. that, we treat that like, oh, you're the 1%. Look, it's right. you, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but we just, we don't allow men to have a lower desire. So like, it's not talked about. Yeah. There are just so many, and it, it's in all the messaging. I mean, until I, until I started listening to you, I just don't think I realized how prevalent that messaging was. Yeah, totally, totally. And then even like, you know, the, the men that I see, you know, people who aren't medical, right? 
like uh-huh. everything down there, like the, the size of their scrotum defines their manhood. That testicle, one testicle small defines their, like everything. It's so defining to them. Like, you know, I do vasectomies. So they're like, am I going to be less of a man? Like they're, they've got tons of stuff wrapped up in this too. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We, I know. we don't let them talk about that at all, but it's all there for them. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, do you want tips for talking to your husband? Sure. Okay. Um, you're going to have more than one conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, this is lifelong conversation. Because you'll continue to age, right? We'll continue right. to age. And then you'll have, like, stressful events in your family and then health problems. So, like, I think so many people are like, I don't want to have the conversation. And it's like, no, no, no. Sorry, it's not the conversation, right? It's right, like, right. We've chosen to spend our lives together and things change in that in those lives. And if we want to stay intimate and if we want to stay connected in that sexual way, it has to be a conversation that keeps going. Um, so I just like to normalize that. Of like, Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. The other nice thing that, that, I, that this article talks about is how we kind of, again, we, society tells us that sex is natural. And so we think like, because it's a natural drive, right? Like sleeping and eating mm-hmm. and sex and reproduction. And we're kind of, we're taught that in medical school too, right? It's like this innate drive. And the argument is like in a partnered long-term relationship where people are aging and changing, it's, this is not a natural, this isn't natural anymore. And only to be like, it's okay if you feel like you're failing because this isn't like breathing at this point. Right. Um, talking about it, with clothes on is helpful <laughs> while you're walking or you're doing kind of like an activity that like regulates the body can be good. Mm-hmm. Um, don't do it right after a failed sexual attempt. Great. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's, that tends to go poorly. Um, and then as much that's, as you, that's when you want to talk about that's it, when you want to talk about it, especially people who like fixing things. Yes. That's me. <laughs> I would like to fix this now. Um, and then watching out for all the shoulds because the shoulds, I think the, the shoulds are whenever there's a should, like you should do it this way. I should do it this way. That's where kind of all that like shame and wanting to withdraw comes in. Um, and really just, I think hearing your partner and hearing what he, what he's thinking, right? How does he feel about it? How does he, how does he view sexuality in your relationship? what's important to him about it. Um, and then your concerns of like, I'm worried that when blah, blah, blah happens, it means blah, blah, blah. And he might be like, no, really? You think that? Never. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so helpful of like, when X, I interpret it as Y. And realizing that's just one viewpoint and his viewpoint of it might be totally different. So you, more of like a, it's more of like a learning, exploring conversation then like you have to do this and I'll do this and then we're done with this conversation. Yeah. And I think for me, knowing that it's just going to change as we age and we might have to redefine <laughs> our normals is yeah. going to be important. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a transition that most people make. And if you don't make that transition, that's where sexless marriages come in. Right. Because it, it was easy when we were brand new to each other, super excited, 
didn't have like there, there's something that happens to the brain after about 18 months with somebody where you're like you're not actually new and exciting anymore mm-hmm. like sorry that's just the way the brain works mm-hmm. but we want to be in this relationship and then how do we how do we prioritize sexual intimacy when we don't have like sparks of and novelty around anymore yeah and the the research they do on they do the they do this research on like these amazingly sexually satisfied like 50 and 60 year old couples because they didn't want to research the young people they're like <laughs> this is novel for you like sex isn't novel when you've been having it for three decades right like the novelty of it you can make a novel when you expand your heterosexual paradigm like that helps a little bit but it's not a novel activity so they, re- they research these people and they're like a desire isn't even a part of it for them because i think so many people stop with like the i don't have desire or desire is different the sexually satisfied people they're like no we're just prioritizing it like we talk about it we spend time together we experiment we prioritize it there's like no desire even involved in those relationships mm-hmm. which i think is super interesting because our society basically sells you cars based upon desire sells you makeup based on, like our society like just desires everywhere right and then you're like the secrets of the pros is that that they don't care <laughs> they're like, they sell you alcohol based upon sexual desire like they say like it's everywhere right yeah totally Yeah, I would do it like, you know, for self-coaching stuff is like thoughts about sex, download, mm-hmm. thoughts about husband's new function, like just getting it all because to see what's under there because it, it tends to then just come up during sex. Right. And when, and during sex, you want to just be as much as you can in the moment, enjoying the yes. moment, enjoying everything. And so you, it's like, you got to get the cobwebs out of there. Yeah. Because otherwise the, the brain will be like, Oh, there's sex involved. Let me tell you about all my thoughts about sex right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, can we do that before? Like, can we do that like on a different day and get it all out so that when those thoughts do, and then that's where that mindfulness comes in, right? Like when the thoughts do come up during sex, you can be like, oh, hello thought. We're going to, let's go back into the pelvis. Let's go back into the clitoris. Let's focus on his body. Let's blah, blah, blah. And like letting those thoughts go in the moment instead of your brain's like now would be a good time to process all this shit right yeah no no it would not be a good time to process all this. yeah i haven't sat and written it down and i've never been a big journaler but every coach every therapist you gotta sit and write it down sometimes <laughs> i have wanted to argue with that for several years at this point yes like, <laughs> can't, but can't i just like think right <laughs> i think about it while listening to podcast driving right exactly <laughs> Damn it. Like, and the whole thing about like mindfulness and meditation, you can't get away from it. Like right. nobody's going to tell you to have amazing personal growth without it. And it's like, right. but can I, can I be right. the one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I'm a full, full, like full skeptic. And I'm at this point in my, like, now I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, fine. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I'm a, a special unicorn who doesn't, like, my body's different than that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, you come into it from a very honest place of, like, yeah, yeah, no, lots of people are skeptical, but this shit works. And it's been working yeah. for, like, 3,000 years at least. 
Right. Which, which lends some validity to it. Right. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Even if Oprah invented it, like maybe it'd be something, but like she didn't. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think those all, it's all work that is completely doable. And I think mm -hmm. being able to see like where you are and what your thoughts are and what your manual is for him, you know, and what your manual is for you and all that stuff. And like, how can we still have fun together? How can we still be this sexual couple that we want to be? Got to, got to clean all that other stuff out. Yeah. Mama? Do it. I'll do it. Awesome. <laughs> well, anything else? All right. I don't want to keep you. I'm here in a kiddo. Yeah. My son's calling me, but yeah, no, that was great. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye -bye. Yeah. Thanks.